Today I want to uh, complete the, really not a sermon series, but what's sort of turned into a sermon series is I looked ahead at the lectionary. I noticed that the readings all revolved around the, the purpose, the nature, uh, the identification of the church, what the church is to look like and who it's to be. And it just seemed appropriate in our time to focus on that. In week one, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about Jesus calling forth the church with Peter's confession that he was the Christ, the son of the living God, brought the church into existence. Uh, and then last week, I talked about how the church, as we learn to be the body of Christ, we begin to learn how to truly not only uh, offer ourselves as a living sacrifice and be transformed in our mind, but to actually be a blessing to other people and them to us, that the church is meant to be a primary means for how we do those things. Lots I said there, that's all I'll say about those weeks, but now we come back to the gospel reading again, to the only other time in Matthew's gospel where Jesus uses the word church, where he talks about the church specifically which is why I felt I needed to stick with it because if Jesus talks about the church twice, I think we should probably look at what he has to say. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. Oftentimes um, in my ministry as an ordained person, um, there have been occasions to say out loud, Matthew 18. Uh, As a matter of fact, for Jody and I, it's sort of like we don't have to even say starting at verse 15 to 20. We just say Matthew 18, practice Matthew 18. Um, when we're talking to people or when we're dealing with each other, that, that we have to remember what Jesus commands, which you're given here, these extremely practical verses. And ultimately, I think the reason why the Lord directed me to, to this is the conversation I had on the way up here, by the way, is that why he directed me to, the, to preach the gospel and not those other passages today is because they are so darn practical about how they're applied. How oftentimes are you confronted with somebody who says, you will not believe what so-and-so did to me. And then they'll want to go on and tell you. And it is so easy, right, to empathize and to listen and let them talk about the person rather than to the person. And Jesus, he commands that as the church, as his community, the community that's surrounding him, that finds its unity in him, that we not be like that. Jesus says something quite the contrary. He tells us to go to that person. Around servants, we've sort of, in our DNA, in our language, we've, over the last 10 years or so, we've adopted this, this, this phrase, keep short accounts. I believe it was Jim Hobby that taught us that years ago. I see Beth back there nodding. We, we learn to keep short accounts so that if, if somebody does something to you, don't let it fester. Go to them. Keep short accounts. Keep short accounts. Go to them and tell them what it is that they've done for you. And then we've also learned to have charitable assumptions, not to assume that they were aware that they sinned against us, that they hurt us. I remember years ago, um, I was friends with a pastor, and um, he actually was on this campus. He's a dear friend. But every week that Georgia lost a football game, he came up to me and wanted to talk about that loss as I was preparing to come in and preach to you guys. And finally, after a while, this is kind of petty, but I had to say, brother, you're, you're causing me to sin, okay? I need you not to talk about football. Call me Sunday afternoon. Call me Monday about this, but don't. Please don't wreck me spiritually by getting me thinking about football on Sunday morning. Now, I, that's, a, that's kind of a petty thing, and you may think, oh, gosh, Alex. But, but it's recogni- recognizing the very thing I'm talking about, which is we got to keep a short account. He was completely unaware 
or at least he said he was, of, uh, of what he was doing to me in the midst of that. Somebody's shaking their head no, but anyway. Um, but but th- this is this idea of keeping short accounts, charitable assumptions, going to the person and telling them how they have offended us. There have been lots of times in my ministry where I've had to go to people or they've had to come to me. Recently, it was me. I was on the receiving end. And I, I had sinned against this person. And it was painful to take that phone call. And it was easy to try to justify myself. But in the end, I had to say, you know what? You're right. I sinned against you, brother. I'm sorry. A fellow pastor. I don't know why. I, I seem to have more sin problems with, with pastors than I do anybody else. But, but uh, anyway, uh, but, but it's necessary and so very practical. Point out, let me point out a couple of things. Jesus says, it's the, the, look at the end result. Okay, there's often times when we go, oh, good. I get to confront somebody about the thing they did that's wrong, you know. We want to tell them off and then we want to write them off. That is not at all what Jesus is talking about here. He is not talking about assassinating our enemies. He is talking about the end result, which is that we be reconciled to them. That, that maybe they didn't know or maybe we've, we misperceived. But, but that, the idea is that we don't want this relationship to be broken and so we're called to, to, to go to them, not to tell them off and write them off, but that we might be reconciled to them in relationship. And I know that can be hard to do, but it's so important. I just want to remind you, you don't have, we didn't read it this morning, but the, the verses right before it are really interesting. Verse 10 to 14, you can go back and look at it or in the pew Bible in front of you. But it's the, it, you remember how Jesus talks about in, in Luke 15 about the, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and then the prodigal son, right? And in the, the lost sheep story, it's about Jesus leaving the 99 to go and find the lost sheep. Jesus actually quotes that here in Matthew, but it's not the context of the lost sheep, but rather the, the one who is, who is a, a brother that has fallen away and must be restored. And that is what Jesus is talking about when he says, I want you, if somebody sins against you, I want you to go to that person and try to work it out one-on-one, not involving anyone else. Of course, sometimes that isn't possible. Um, we know that we can't be reconciled one to the other and we agree to disagree. And, and so sometimes it's necessary to bring other people in. Jesus, I love it. He, he says two or three, just, just a couple of people. And I love that we keep it small. We want to blow things up. We want to put things on Facebook, right? We want, to, we want to tell everybody, you will not believe what so-and-so did to me. But what does Jesus say? No, keep it as close and small as possible. If you can't be worked out one-on-one, then two or three go with you. But again, with the purpose to reconcile. To either show this person their fault or to show you where your perception of their fault is actually wrong. The same intent is that the relationships would be reconciled. Thirdly, Jesus says, if, if they won't listen to you, if they won't listen to two or three, then you may need to take it to the church. Scholars don't really know for certain, does this mean, does this mean you know, put it out in front of the whole church or just the church leadership? But the idea is that at some point, uh, officially, you may have to say, this person is, 
has, has, has sinned. They're unwilling to repent. They're, they've sinned against me. It's in a personal context here. It's not about, you know, just their notorious sin. It's about the way they've offended against you. And, and you may have, to, Jesus says, if they won't listen to even the church, then we have to treat them like a tax collector or a Gentile. Well, what does that mean, Jesus? I mean, what is it? Yeah, for the Jewish person, a, a tax collector had, had, had sided with Rome. He was, they, were, they were extorting money from their own people for the, for the benefit of Rome and for their own pocketbook, and, and they were cast out. Although, obviously, we know some pretty famous tax collectors that were redeemed, right? Zacchaeus, Matthew himself that writes this gospel are both tax collectors for whom Jesus gave mercy and grace and they came to be followers of Jesus. Or a Gentile. What is Jesus getting at here? There may be a need, in the, again, he's writing to a, a Jewish congregation or he's talking to, to Jewish people. He's saying there may be a need to break fellowship with this person, but not vindictively. To break fellowship to show how important this is that hopefully fellowship can be restored. Sherry Adams our, our, used to be our resident psychologist. Now she's living in uh, Swanee County. But Sherry used to say, you know, the game continues to go on until somebody changes the rules. Until somebody says, you know what? This is not right and I can't tolerate it anymore. And so I'm going to change. I'm not going to be able to break bread with you until we work on this. And sometimes that's what it takes. But again, the emphasis is on reconciliation how does Jesus treat Gentiles and tax collectors he loves them he gives himself for them he seeks to bring them into a place of reconciliation and so should we don't forget verses 10 through 14 don't forget Ezekiel 33 it's our responsibility. If somebody has done something that is wrong, it's our responsibility. The other gospel writers write about this too. That Jude writes about this, that there are some that, that we snatch from the fires, it's, you know, almost as if metaphorically we're snatching them out of the flames and bringing them to help. If I have a blind spot and it is, it is hindering my witness, if, it is, if, it's a, if it's a way that I am sinning against other people, I want to know about it because we know what happens if that doesn't occur. That person becomes more and more isolated and if they're in a place of power, they become much more assertive in their power and all sorts of damaging, sinful, broken behavior can result. Well, that's pretty straightforward. Quickly, I want to say to you that, that Jesus Yes, he's talking about individual relationships, but it's always in the context of the church. That's what, that's what, Paul, that's what uh, Matthew is describing here in, in Matthew 18. Is it's relationships in the kingdom and how this individual short accounts and seeking to be reconciled affects the greater body. And that's why Jesus shifts now to talk about three things that involve the church. Binding and loosening. Remember back in chapter 16, Peter, Peter, after he makes the confession, you know, so whatever, whatsoever things you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever things you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. There's a power that's, that's granted unto Peter with, by his confession at the inception of the church. Now that same words, those same words are spoken over the, the community of Jesus, the church. We have the power to bind and loose by our actions. 
that should both excite us and scare the dickens out of us. Binding and loosing has great powers. Secondly, Jesus says, whatever things you agree on earth will be done for you as you come together. There is this... Verse 19, Jesus is saying, again, I say to you, two or three agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them in my Father's name. I think we can't separate this from the context. This is not simply formulatic. This is not simply automatic. It's like, well, okay, let's get three people and let's pray for something to be done. There's a reminder that those three people have to be in good fellowship with one another. They have to be in reconciled relationship with each other. And how many times do we, you know, we're, we're harboring things and resentment and we're holding back and it's like we pray for them, but we're no more united in anything in the world. Jesus is, the context is clear here. There is power, there is power in agreement when we pray together. Those things will be done. We know Jesus is not saying he'll give us Ferraris. This is about those things which are in accord with his, with his will that he wants to bring about in his church and in the world. But we have to be in a reconciled relationship with one another. And to do that and to not be there is to, is to thwart these things. Binding and loosing agreement. And then Jesus says the most important thing. He says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I will be in the midst of them. Again, a lot of ink is spilled over this. Is Jesus present to me as an individual believer? Is he present to you? Of course. His spirit is with us. The Holy Spirit, the spirit of Jesus is with us if we're a, if we're a believer in Christ Jesus. But, but Jesus is saying something beyond that. He's saying that there is a reality that is the community and that there is a way in which he is present in his people as they come together in a way that, that he is actually physically present in their midst. Where does the power come from in the church? It comes from the Lord of the church and his presence and empowerment with us. But here's what he's saying. How we cherish and handle the relationships within the body of Christ affects the effectiveness of the church. That's how much Jesus cares about the church. That's how important it is to him. It's not a byproduct. It's not an afterthought. It's not, it's not an incidental extra if you happen to, hey, by the way, if you happen to find other Christians and you, you enjoy worshiping with them, great. No, he's saying this is essential. There is binding and loosing. There is power and agreement. And I am in their midst, working powerfully in the world. Whew. I want to be a part of that church. And so I have to do the work of continually being in reconciled relationships with you and you with me and you with each other. That's how important it is. Three applications and I'm done. First, my priest, my rector back in Jacksonville, this guy named Whitey Hogan. He's also Jose and Adrian's priest one, at one point. And, uh, Whitey used to say, before you dare to confront somebody about sin, you better pray yourself clean. You better get on your knees and pray that you, the Lord would reveal to you where you might be wrong, where it might be your sin and not that person's. And only after you've prayed yourself clean do you dare to stand up and approach that person with a clean heart and clean hands. 
and be willing to be corrected, to be shown that, in fact, you, you weren't in the right by what you thought. And, and for Pete's sake, do not, do not text this. This is not a texting situation. I, I shouldn't have to say that, but I understand that sometimes guys and girls these days break up with each other over text, so I'm just not going to let it go unsaid. Don't break up with anybody over a text, and don't, don't, make, don't apply this passage to a texting situation, okay? This is about calling at least, if not hopefully in person, although obviously right now we have to keep social distancing. But pray yourself clean. Be careful that you don't have some sin in your life that is, that is helping you, that's hurting, hindering you from seeing what you need to do. Secondly, we often see weaknesses in the church. The, the church globally, the, the church regionally or citywide or the local church. When we see those weaknesses, those need to be brought to the body for corporate prayer. We have an amazing prayer chain. We pray for individuals. We pray for needs. We've seen miraculous healings. It's amazing to be a part. If you have anything that you need prayer for, I can assure you we have a powerful prayer team. But I guess the thing that I'm convicted this morning is that too often I don't see the things that we should be praying for corporately. Like the calling of a young curate to join us. Or the effectiveness of our youth ministry or our new college ministry that we got started. Or the need for care or a way in which this body is weakened and not as effective as it once was or should be. There are people who are lonely and isolated and feel left out. This is not a time for them to gossip. This is the time for us as the body to pray that every person who's feeling isolated or alone or hurt or not cared for, will, that, that need will be known and that the body will respond. We need to be praying about these things and not simply talking about them. So the question is, who is God calling you as a member of this body to reach out to? I'm telling you that's a need. Right now, there are some people within this body who are feeling isolated, alone, and not cared for. Who is God calling you to specifically call and check on? It's a weird time. No fault. But who are we called to check on? Who are we called to reach out to? Thirdly, Loving one another, truly loving one another, being in kingdom relationship with each other will require the practicing of keeping short accounts and confronting about sin because we, if we are close enough to each other, we're going to sin against each other. It's just a matter of time. But in Christ, we can respond differently. Be bold. Don't, have, don't be afraid. Walk in these relationships. Learn to keep short accounts. Confront where you have to in order that you might be reconciled in relationship. The people that I've had the worst conflict with as a rule are the people that I'm most closest to. Because if I can be completely real with you, whether or not you've sinned against me or I've sinned against you, and we can walk through that and be stronger on the other side, 
then you're the person I want to call when I'm in need. And it's probably true for you as well. And why is that true? Because the Lord of the church has made it so. He's called us to be bound in one another. He's called us to understand the power and the opportunity we have to be his body in the world. To demonstrate a love that is not perfect, but can always be reconciled because of him who gave himself for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.